1: What's going on, beautiful people? My name is Sam Brooks. I'm an actor, a writer, a director. You might know me from Fear Street, Part 2, 1978. I played Arnie or Travis from Stargirl, Seasons 1 and 3. I am excited for right now. I have the grateful pleasure of being in a movie called The Unraveling. That should be out sometime at the end of this year, beginning of next year. And I have a short film that's doing the festival circuit here soon. And that one's called For My Nephew. So thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Much love, y'all. Sam
0: Brooks, welcome to the Make It podcast. Thank you for having me. Anytime, anytime. Uh, This is going to be a fun one. You are uh, a young man, but you are a renaissance man. And to give this audience a deeper sense of who you are, I'm going to read from a little bio. Of course, you can always correct me at the end, amend to it, say, hey, let's fix that but uh, here it goes. Sam Brooks is an actor, writer, and director with 23 credits to his name. Sam is known for the feature films Fear Street Part 2 1978 on Netflix, One More Dream, AM Radio, In These Streets We Haunt, and the forthcoming feature film The Unraveling. Sam has also worked on several TV series, including Stargirl, Your Worst Nightmare, and Murder Comes to Town. Sam had his directorial debut in 2020 with his romantic, there's a little tearjerker piece in there too, but romantic short film, A Heart's Calling, inspired by a true story, by the way, in which he also earned a co-writer credit. Sam has worked with DC Comics, Warner Brothers, 20th Century Fox, and Chardonnay Entertainment, and currently has two films in production. Sam attended the University of Tennessee, and studied acting at the Fourth Wall Acting Studio in Nashville, Tennessee. Sam, how was that?
1: Damn, that was good. Uh, do
0: you have that written down? Uh, I do. Can you send that shit over? I need a bio, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll clean it. I'll clean it up. Man, that was you. good. And I'll send it. I'll send it right to you. And you know, normally we start these conversations with the origin story, and I, I, we'll get to that a little bit. But for this audience, because you've booked. Um, some pretty significant roles at a young age. I think there's a a piece of me that just wants to start this conversation differently than the others. And I want to talk a little bit about the process of being cast Mm. for Fear Street. Are there any tools, tactics, any steps or connections you made that would be useful to this audience, to those actors listening that stood out to you during the casting process of, of Fear Street?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh, and every casting director, I
0: believe, is a little different. Every
1: process is a little different. Uh, but I had, I think, from January of 2019 to February, I had about seven auditions for Fear Street. And wow. I think it was just a good sign that they kept calling me back. Um, a lot of those, I played it really safe, and but still served the story. And so when June came around, two days before I got the audition for Arnie. I was wondering what happened to Fear Street, and I was checking it out on IMDb and stuff. And then I got, two days later, the audition for Arnie, and that was the last character I read for in February. And so I just read it, and they said he has music. There's music playing in the scene. Like, the action above was painting the picture of the music. He's having sex, and he's this character that listens to, like, punk music. He smokes weed. He's just that guy. And he's like, yeah, he's probably... Spoiler alert, he might die first. You know, he might, might be that guy. So I, I was like, I know this guy. I actually had a buddy who's a punk rocker and I got some of his, like, I got his jean jacket with a patch on the back and whatnot. And I rolled myself a little cigarette to smoke in the, in the scene. And I put some, the music that was playing in the action, I put that song on, like, quietly so it wasn't too distracting, but it was there. And I just took the risk. And, but the, the main point is, like, I, I had to make sure I was serving the story instead of just serving my ego by taking all these risks and trying to stand out with, and it comes off as too much. You know, I didn't want it to come off as too many doings too much, try hard, you know, but if I could serve the story while taking the risk and they, they look at me like in this box that you see right now and then behind me, they can imagine exactly what they have in their head, like in the cabin and all that stuff. And I think I've done my job. And
0: I, uh, I, I was very pleased with how it came out of things to dig into there. That's very interesting. Now, this is all during COVID, right? Like you couldn't. No, 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 no. This was, uh, or this 30%. is in person. No, this was uh, self tape. This is this, so, so again. All these were self tape. Yeah. Yeah. So this isn't them. This isn't you going into an audition. This is you self tape sending it. They're viewing the self tape, and you're competing against a, a bunch of other actors that are self taping, right? Correct. Yeah. From L.A.,
1: New York, uh, who knows? Like I guess a lot of a lot right. of places.
0: All over, all over. So there is pressure there if you're trying to get this part to maybe overdo it because mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting. Maybe what stood out for you was your ability to read the scene better than other actors, so that mm-hmm. you you created the set design and the wardrobe design most accurately, so that it complemented your performance instead of it feeling busy. I mean, how did you know you would hit that? Perfect balance between not going over the top and like nailing the scene's aesthetic. I think I don't.
1: I think at first I was like, "This is going to be a bold move," but it has starting after like the sex takes place, where Cindy's character comes in. You know, it's like, "What are y'all doing?" So that was like the start. But I was like, ah, you know, I think I want to start it like in middle of of the sex. So basically, I'm just having sex with the wall in this audition <laughs> kind of thing, and you see my back, and it looks like I might be naked from the waist down. Uh, or, you know, anyways, Right. But uh, at that point I was like, if, if I can watch this from start to finish and not feel a single bit of pushing, you know, if there was no pushing there and it was just truly just being, then I'm cool with that. And, and yeah. I think, it, I think it was good. Cause at the end of my slate, I just did the whole thing kind of in character. So at the end of the slate, I had these aviators on, I walk up and there's music playing. I'm like smoking the rest of that thing. And I was like, no marijuana was used in the making these auditions, like kind of thing. And gave a little wink to the camera and just kind of wrote it out the whole time. And, you know, when I sent it in, I was like, this could either go very bad. Like this could be, (laughs) this could be too much of a risk or it could work perfectly. And but at that time, my hair was just past my shoulders.
0: It was just, you know, I had the look. So. Yeah, I was gonna say you probably nailed that. Had, had you auditioned without your hair there? I mean, this long hair—it mm-hmm. uh, goes perfect with the jean jacket or a leather jacket or something like that. It would—it it just fits,
1: right? You know? So and that's why I grew out my hair in the first place to like pigeonhole myself for specific roles, like the druggie or the hippie or the college or high school jock dude. And then all I have to do is like show him my chops because I know I look that character. I already look it,
0: so. Yeah, that's, that's so fascinating to me because it is that competitive where if you don't have the hair there, then maybe you don't get the part, even though the performance is there, even though it's crazy. Uh, it, you know, you just don't know how it all sort of turns out or how it will turn out for you. You know, Stephanie Black, who did a a, a season in This Is Us, mm. also talks about serving the story. How do you serve the story and not your ego in a self tape. That took me a long
1: time to figure that out. (laughs) And it took me uh, like when I first started, I was on the opposite end of the spectrum there and serving my ego. And that's when the transition, I grew out my hair and I was going undergoing that whole thing. But I think if you could, if you can take the audition or the sides that they give you, which are maybe a scene, maybe a page, maybe multiple pages, different scenes, uh, you you read it and you just kind of approach it as like, how, how do I see this? How, what story do, do I want to tell within this story? Because if you try to guess for me, if you try to guess what they want, you're not, you're never going to, you don't know. You're never going to guess. You can't psychoanalyze a casting director and try to get their vision directly. So it's like, what do I want to see? How do I approach this character? How do I think that they would go about this scene and still serve the story that's, on the sides, like that, the overall story, because they'll give you an you know, actor's access, they'll give you a breakdown of the character and like the story synopsis and stuff. So it's just you trying to take all those pieces together and create a puzzle out of it. And it's like the finishing piece. It's like if this works, you know, if this is literally can be believable of what this character would do, then that's cool. You know, one my- of away from the performance, I think it has to complement the performance. It doesn't feel out of place.
0: Right. Yeah. It, th- there was this great horror short film. And I always recommend it. I think it's called fetish. Yeah. Fetish. It's amazing. It's 20 minutes long. It's on Amazon. It's worth everybody's time, but I always, the the part I'm disappointed with the part I get the most disappointed with is the choice that the, that the writer and, and lead made to make him, he was, he was playing off this other character he created that was comedic a long time ago. And he has like this one, he's bald. He's like male pattern bald, except for this one piece of hair in the very front. And it like kind of sticks up. And it's like, it's like, yeah, nobody really looks that way. Mm -hmm. That's too much. You're like, you're serving something else. And for this story, it's more believe. It's still a great short, like I said, and I still recommend it because it's so shocking at the end. For a horror and so it's like a weird film but man it, i think it would have went even further if you just make us believe this character exists in the real world by like mm-hmm. letting him be insecure about that piece of hair which is what he would really be in real life mm-hmm. he would try to That's figure me. out that I'm hair sure. or he would shave that off yeah, yeah. Or, and it wouldn't be there and i think sometimes you overdo it but might curl it, you know, give it, right. little, give it a little swirl or something. Right. He made it cartoonish. Yeah. And the story didn't need that at it all. It kind of sounds like an alfalfa, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like a bald alfalfa. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And by the way, I loved uh, alfalfa and, and, and um, the little rascals growing up. Alfalfa's not funny. I mean, he's funny, but he's not fun. The funniest one is Stymie by oh. a mile. Man, I, need to by a mile. I need to watch that again. I was actually watching clips,
1: something I had an audition where I was like kind of characters of Alfalfa. So I was going back through and watching because Alfalfa was that character was created way back in
0: the day. Yeah, you got to watch the original one, Sam. Yeah, no, I, I watched the 90s one. There's one episode. Yeah, the 90s one, Spoolship. The original ones is the one you want. Uh, there's one episode where Stymie is starving, right? Because he's a black kid in the 1920s. He's hungry. He's walking around just trying to grift off people. He's trying to figure out a way to like get people's food. So he's like, you know, robbing some guys, you know, uh, chicken coop for eggs. He's just gonna crack an egg and pour it in his mouth. Um, <laughs> but he's on the street, and there's this guy telling him to get off the street from like three stories up. And he said, Hey, mister, I bet you can't, th- <laughs> I bet you can't throw. Him. <laughs> I guess he had some food in his hand or something. He said, I bet you can't throw that down here and hit me in the hand. So he's just trying to grift him so he can right. get his food to eat it. And it's hilarious. It's hilarious. It yeah. It was something like, it was something, I can't remember exactly what it was, but he did, he tricked him. He threw it down. And as soon as he threw it down, he would went to go pick it up and a truck ran over it. And it's just hilarious. (laughs) It's just classic comedic setups that like will never get old that are like good until the end of time. But anyway, I'm, I'm the tangent, tangent King. I'll, I'll, I do that all the time. I tend to do that too. So in good company. All all good. Um, I do love this job because in my role in the creative community, because I get to talk to creatives one-on-one off the mic and on the mic when I'm off the mic, the thing you mentioned about being being able to watch yourself without feeling one moment or one second of push. Mm-hmm. And I equate that to being honest with yourself about your professional benchmark or what it takes to actually hit a professional benchmark. And I can always tell when I speak to someone how good the thing is they're about to try to show me because they'll start with caveats. Well, this is going to be this is great for a blah, blah, blah budget. Or this is good for how young this person is. Or there's a caveat that happens before that tells me right right away, I'm going to have to listen to this with a grain of salt Mm -hmm. versus what I would tell a creative is try to reach the professional benchmark and do the most difficult thing in the world, which is be objective with yourself. Mm -hmm. Would you pay money for this work of art? And if not, just go back to the drawing board. It's okay. Everybody's running their own race. And they're running yeah, it
1: at their own time. That's a million dollar question. And, and it's it's hard. It's harder than it being honest and, and your own critic. You know, you have to be truthful with yourself, but you shouldn't, I don't think you should ever be harsh with yourself. I think that's you know exactly you're, right. you know your limits and you know you juice, you know what kind of mojo you're bringing in. <laughs> and um, you know, I think <laughs> I think you're right. I don't think you should start off with like, hey, you know, this might. This might be uh, a perfect for this uh, or this, you know. Starting off with kind of like you're leading, you you're putting limitations from the get, you know. I usually just send it and be like, "Hey, man, hope you enjoy this shit."
0: Yeah. Uh, so well, also, you have like this advantage of being just absolutely, you know, different in, in the charismatic department. So, mm. you know, use what you got, right? Um, that's, that's one way uh, to put it. My teacher
1: said something else growing up, but I'll take that. I'll take that. Uh, <laughs> I'll take that approach.
0: <laughs> uh, when did, speaking of that, when did you know you wanted to live the creative life? Is there a moment that sticks out to you? Yeah, I was a uh, junior in college about
1: this time. March Madness was going on. I was catching a buzz. I didn't have class that day. And my good buddy who's still one of my best friends comes in with a flyer and says, UT's putting on a short film. Auditions are at Hodges Library. Hmm. I was like, well, shit, what does that even mean? And so we put <laughs> on clothes like we were going to a business interview, like I'm in a button-down shirt, slacks, pleated. You know, I got nice shoes on, a belt tucked in. I'm looking good. And uh, we we went down there, and everyone had these headshots and resume, and we didn't know what the fuck was going on. So we ended up uh, auditioning anyways and signed up, and I, I got the supporting lead role. In that short film, and it was like a, the grad students were putting on, and then they invited me to be in the 54 um, at the end of that year. And so those two things, and then I was at Steeplechase, and this telling the story. This one knew from high school I was like, "Hey, you should come to my acting class. I think you'd be good." I was like, "Cool." Went to the acting class. He pulls me aside a week later and says, "There's a workshop going on this weekend. Casting director from Chicago is coming down. You should sign up." Cool, awesome. Signed up did her class. She pulled me aside and was like, Hey, how long have you been doing this? And I was like, crazy story. Like maybe a few months. And this is what happened. She was like, well, I'm going to call this agent, which was Melinda with the Avenue agency, left a voicemail. She calls me and was like, Hey, I want you to come in, bring everything you have. And I was like, I've got nothing. Like, I don't know what a headshot is. I don't know. She's like, come in just do a monologue. I was like, well, you're going to have to tell me what a monologue is. Cause I don't really know what that is. And so I, I ended up trying to do, uh, the Goodwill Hunting monologue when he's in a bar. and He's telling oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that guy. And I, I couldn't get through maybe a third of it both times. Just butchered it. And I was walking out. And I was like, sorry for wasting your time. And she's like, I want to work with you. And I was like, that was it. And I was like, all right, cool. We're... What do you think it was that made her say that? I have no idea. I, I My first response was, why? <laughs> you know, I was like, <laughs> why? And She was like, I think you got something. I was like, man, I okay, cool. I'm not going to argue there.
0: I love the story because you did the opposite of what I did in my, so Regina Moore, who's a casting director in town. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. I met her 20 plus years ago. Really? And at the time I was waiting tables in Applebee's and so many things happened at that Applebee's. It's crazy. Um, I met my business mentor there. Well, well through that, through a meeting there and Regina was in there eating And this is back before, like, Applebee's was the neighborhood bar. and Like, it was a decent place to go. Was this the Applebee's in Berry Hill? It was the one on Harding Place that's no longer there. And and, and so for those listening, the two things we just mentioned are locations in Nashville, by the way. And if you come to Nashville, there's no reason for you to be on Harding Place unless you were trying to procure crack, heroin, or uh, a sex worker. So uh but back because in the day, Depending on what part of Harding you're on. Yeah, oh, what part of Harding? Yeah. Harding place near the airport. The just for just for that one block, by the way. There's yeah. a lot of Harding that's great. Uh so everybody calm down. Um yeah, if you love a harding place. <laughs> like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was in that Applebee's and she told me she was shooting a commercial for athletic people or whatever. And it was like a Reebok commercial or something. And I came just to give it a shot. Same as you, Sam. And I went in the bathroom to sort of do that dirt diggler thing where, you know, you sort of pump yourself up in the mirror. Except yeah. I didn't, except <laughs> oh I didn't pull my, God. my mm-hmm. out. And, Wait, and then
1: Not the diggler.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I'm pumping myself up. Don't act like you've not done it. So I, I'm pumping myself up in the mirror. You can do this. I've never done it before. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And this guy comes in, dark skin, black dude. His, he's only wearing Speedos. What? Yeah, he walks in the bathroom. He's only wearing Speedos. He begins to lather himself in the oils and he is jacked. He has a 12 pack. He has. Pecs. Is this a Reebok swimsuit thing? Like what I don't know what, like I, I, here's the thing, Sam, I did the opposite of you and I, I shouldn't have. And Regina's told me this to my face that I should have just kept going because she probably didn't cast that guy because of that. Mm-hmm. I saw him and said, I have no shot. And I just bounced. Oh, damn! I didn't, I didn't even do it. I was like, Damn. I'm like, okay. I didn't bring my speedo. I didn't bring my oil, and I didn't bring my abs. So, yeah. Damn, you probably would have booked it too. I probably would have. I probably would have. Ugh, don't do what I did, folks, kiddos. Do do it. Do what Sam did. But what was, what was what was the lesson from that though? You know, you bounced, and then and then what happened? Regina hit you up, and then. Well, no, she didn't. Like, she just thought I was a guy who didn't show up. Like, mm-hmm. so there was like. She, she knew me from Applebee's. (laughs) So here's the, okay. So here's the crazy thing. I didn't even learn a lesson from it until like maybe decades later or decade plus later, after I met with Regina face to face again, Mm -hmm. because I didn't, because I held the belief that I wasn't going to get that all the way up until the point she said, no, I I wouldn't have, I think I remember that guy. And that would have grossed me out. I wouldn't have cast him. And I'm like, oh. yeah. so then I learned the lesson that, hey, man, just go do you. Um, it's that whole Jim Carrey commencement speech thing. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you can fail at something you don't want. So you might as well go for something you do want. Kind right. of thing, Right. So that was the, the lesson I learned from that. Um, speaking of lessons, who is Brad Brown? And and what uh, impact has he had on on your uh, life? He is the
1: man, the myth, the legend himself that made me act. Wild. So in high school, I did. I went to Hillsborough High School in Green Hills, and I did the International Baccalaureate program, mm-hmm. which my parents made me do, and I'm glad they did because I was a little shit and I was I didn't wasn't great at school. I was focused on sports until I went into that program, and it's either you take a world history of like arts and culture or you do theater, and mm-hmm. so. It's like I'll do theater, I'll build sets, and it's all good. <laughs> so the first year, I built set, and he made me be like a little role in Macbeth where I ran out and I died, and that was cool. But so my senior year, he for the final project, he wanted to write a Roman comedy, like in the round, mm-hmm. and he cast me as the lead, and this other guy Anthony as like my twin brother, and Anthony's black, I'm white. It's this huge running joke, and we're all tr- we're just trying to find like the twin brothers and the whole thing. And I have this Barbie doll named Bonnie and it's ridiculous. It is, And then there was so much room for improv, so that, that made me feel a little more comfortable. But he really stretched and pulled me out of my comfort zone and was like, you're going to be the lead in this. And I was like this braggart soldier, soldier guy, like buff, and was like, what's up, bro? So like, you know, this thing. The first time I ever stepped on stage, I, my vision went black. And this voice in my head was like, you either a stiff leg pass out or you continue on the scene, man. And so I, I kind of came back too and just kept going. And that was like the most exhilarating moment probably in my high school, like up until that life. Like there was nothing like live theater and having that energy because they're right there on you, like in the front. Mm-hmm. And like someone's phone went off with like bird tweets. And I was like, I didn't know chickadees were out this time of year. I was just having a blast, man. And uh, I didn't touch acting until junior year of college. I didn't even think about acting. I was focused on uh, kinesiology and and trying to be either like a physician's assistant or a physical therapist. And, and then I just remembered once I started, once I got that short film, I was like, man, I actually really enjoyed this. Like, I remembered that play. And when I, that summer, junior year of college, after I got the agent and stuff, I called Brad Brown's the first person I called and he gave me a list of books to read. Like, Power of the Actor, Ivana Chubik, How to Stop Acting, Harold Guskin, the name of a few. And my senior year, I was reading those books like in front of my actual books in college, like in classes. So I'm like reading those while I'm in class and just studying up and just going hard. And I started telling people, I'm going to act. I'm going to act. This is what I'm going to do. And everybody was actually pretty supportive. And once I graduated college, uh, about June of 2016, so I gave myself a month is when I called Melinda and was like, let's do this. And so, uh, like, thanks, thanks to Brad Brown, and like, all – he like kind of guided that
0: ship, you know. He put he put Inception on you. Yeah, he yeah. You know, <laughs> he <sure> did. <laughs> he he dropped something foundational on you that, that uh, <laughs> he he remembered, like, you, know, you remembered. remembered three years it. later.
1: Yeah, it's amazing, man. He's and he's amazing. He's super talented. He was running the National Shakespearean uh, Company or Shakespeare Company.
0: Or, I don't know if he's still doing that or not. But, yeah, shout out to Brad Brown for inspiring the next generation of, of great actors. Um, and he might still be, I think I looked on his website. It seemed like he was still up to that stuff, but you know, yeah, it's always great when you run into a teacher who, you know, isn't caught up in anything more than just being a great educator. And that's
1: really what he is as well.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's what stood out to me about him and, and our research of, of him. Uh, your dad told you, you must do what you have to do now so that you can do what you want to do later mm-hmm. uh, if you have taken his advice in what ways have you taken it yeah that
1: was that was a, a gym that he gave me sophomore year of high school I think because he's you know he sees this kid who's just focused on sports and he's like, let's be realistic here, son. You're about, you're only going to get five ten ten, five, five, 11, <laughs> you're like a buck 70. Come on, man. And, uh, yeah. he was like, you got to do what you have to do now. So you can do what you want to do later. And it's basically just, just put in the work and it might suck. And, you know, the grunt work and building the foundation and, and building something that's going to be substantial in life, it's, it's going to take a lot of work. And it might seem like you're not getting anywhere and it might suck. But just know that if you do what you have to do right in this moment, you can do whatever you want to later. And it's kind of something that he, he didn't really uh, develop in his lifetime. So he just like drilled that into us so that yeah. we can uh, kind of reach a higher level and, and succeed in whatever we want to do. So I, I thought, you know, I could go and that really hit me when I was like, I could take the GRE, I could go to grad school, I'd come out like a hundred thousand plus debt, you know, whatever, or I can just dive in. Yeah. You no. Know? And I was like, that kind of, to me, this risk is like, just put all the eggs in that basket. That's kind of what I have to do now. You know, if there's any shot of me being an actor, I didn't see it realistically of like after being in debt, trying to be like with a physical therapy, like PhD or whatever that would be. Uh, And then trying to pay that debt off when I'm trying to do a full-time job and then trying to act, it just didn't make sense to me. So I was like, if I'm going to do it, I have to do it
0: right now. Yeah. And then hopefully that allows me to do what I want to do later. I truly believe in that. that. That's an amazing story. And I've said this before with other guests, but it bears repeating super proud of you and the courage it takes to make that decision. You hear about people making that decision, but it's just something that becomes cliche. Mm -hmm. But when you zoom in to the details of what it takes to do it, it's akin to potentially blowing up your life. A hundred percent. The
1: amount of like, while you're young, right? That I heard when I first started, Mm -hmm. you know, not really knowing anything. It's like, yeah, you might as well, you know, while you're young and. I graduated. Even my dad was like, Hey, when you're done dicking around, you know, call me, you know, (laughs) it's like, good luck.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so, it's so true. And, you know, we had a guest on uh, late last year, his name's Michael McCray or Michael McCray. Sorry, my goodness. Um, And he runs the whistleblowers uh, whistleblower film festival. And, he himself was a major whistleblower and he talks about like the courage, like the, the decisions you have to make because your girlfriend or wife or friends didn't ask to be a whistleblower. Can you, can you uh, explain to me and hopefully the audience here, what a whistleblower exactly can you break? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to do it because they're so important to our society and to our liberty. A whistleblower is someone who blows the whistle on a corrupt corporation or government entity. It's someone who, um uh, is basically willing to risk their own safety freedom livelihood because they're often fired usually a whistleblower is blowing the whistle on their their own employer Mm. you know in the case of michael he was blowing the whistle on the clinton administration because he worked in government and it was a 40 million dollar case but that's a powerful enemy absolutely yeah so he lost he lost his wife lost livelihood. Like, yeah, it's, it's, wow. You have to be willing to crawl across the desert for your dream or for what you think is right for you. And so that's why I say it's, it's not pandering at all. It's, it's an, a massive amount of courage and you're courageous in ways that I wish I could have been at your age. So, so kudos uh, to you. I, I am curious how your parents took it at the time you decided to leave college to become an actor instead of staying in the medical field.
1: Not ideal, not (laughs) ideal at all. Yeah, my, (laughs) well, you know, I was always supposed to be the family doctor, you know, once I could prove myself that I wasn't, you know, just a, a jock kid, you know, I got straight A's my junior and senior year of high school and I really turned things around. And I had one of my greatest family friends owns, started results physiotherapy. And, you know, I got really into that growing up and he was a very big inspiration in life. His name is Greg Spurgeon. Spurgeons are huge inspirations in my life. And Yep. So I was like, that's the path, man. I I see them being very successful. He did the thing. He started his own company. It's great. And like that, I can do that. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. But I never really thought about like, is that something I want to do? I'm like, I can make a good career. I'll be safe. I'll make some money. It'll be chill. And then, uh, you know, I didn't really tell him what I was doing while I was doing it. I didn't really tell many people, but I told a few buddies in college and they're like, man, I could see that for you. So I was like, thanks.
0: guys." (laughs)
1: And then I got out of college. I graduated and was like, look, here's the deal. I, uh, I'm going to go into acting. I'm going to put this on. I'm going to take a year and I'm going to go into acting and put this on, on the way. Like backburn. My mom's cool. She was chill. She's an interior designer. So she gets it. She's like, express your creativity while you're young. She was a while you're young kind of person. Mm-hmm. My dad was like taking it back. He was like, you know, call me when you're done effing around and kind of all these things. And I was like, damn. Okay. Okay. See how it is. So I was like, give me a year. If I don't book anything in a year, I'll go to, I'll go to school. Take my GRE and go to school. Yeah. So thank God I booked something <laughs> in, that, in that year. So that was good. Yeah. So not ideal. My brother was very supportive. My brother's my brother. And he was, he had my back, but uh, it was interesting to see the reactions. Cause it was kind of like, okay, what do you, do you even know what you're doing? Yeah. I didn't really. And I was just like, I'm going to figure it out. And I'm, I'm going to show you, I'm, I'm pretty competitive in that sense. When people are people are like, oh, you can't do that. And I'm always like, why?
0: You know, why I can't, I? I think I can. And so, Thank you for sharing that, Sam. That was, that's awesome. And the lesson there is the power of putting yourself on death ground. And if you don't have anyone doubting that you can do something, maybe you don't have anything to motivate you outside of the thing that's in front of you. Those external motivations are great. And we talk about death ground. We talk about that, you know, the old Sun Tzu story, which is you bring your troops to the shore of your enemy and you send the ships away. Yeah. The only way you're leaving this island alive is through that other army. Yeah, absolutely. There's no going that's how back. how you approached it. There's no going back. You know, it's like, I said, so once
1: I, I'm committed, I'm going for it. And it was great to have your family, your own parents be like, all right, sure. Good luck out there yeah <laughs> you're not kidding and you're just like okay okay mother you know it's like i'm coming in i'm coming in hot and my dad is now my biggest fan yep for sure uh i had a call back for a movie in canton mississippi one day and i my car wouldn't make it and he was retired so i was like dad come on i know you're not doing shit let me borrow your car and, and it was like the first time i talked to him in like six months and he was like oh okay well uh canton's five hours five hour back one day i'll drive with you like i'll come with you that way you don't know. i was like okay dang, i did not expect that sure so we uh we go down we, we throw on the almond brothers we grew up listening to the almond brothers it's like his favorite band we played some james taylor and we're jamming out and he's just asking me how i've been because we haven't caught up in a while it was a, it was really really special and i go there and we had lunch and it's like this little college town canton's really cool i did the audition 20 minutes later i'm out of there I'm smiling. I'm all happy. I, I I did a great job in my in my head. In my, so I was happy. He was like, that's it. And I was like, yep, that's it. Let's go home. And he was like, all right, let's go home. And we're driving home. And it was, it was like a movie. The sun was setting, you know, and we're, we're headed out of Canton. It's quiet. He didn't say anything. He just looks over and he's like, you really like what you're doing, huh? And I was like, yeah, I love it. And he was like, proud of you. Proud of you for doing what you love. And I was just like, damn, Danny. like, <laughs> do look over here, man. <laughs> That's really from then on out he was like my biggest fan. So that was really something to be grateful for.
0: That was a blessing. You, you sure. probably have to make that that into a scene in one of your future films. Oh yeah. For sure. I, it, it reminds me of the ending of the Tinder Bar. I don't know if you saw that one yet, mm-hmm. but um George Clooney direct uh, directorial debut I believe. Um really really good movie Ben Affleck's in it, he's a lead, but the kid in it is is amazing. Um you no know, in the, in that as well. You, you, your dad has good taste. Almond Brothers, James Taylor. Uh, you are a bit of a musician as well. You play uh, alto sax, guitar, it's harmonica. Obvious, I'd say. Yeah, you sing great. I've heard oh, you thank sing. You. Thank you. Have you ever thought about recording an album? <laughs> uh, I mean, yes and no.
1: I don't. Ah, it's a whole other beast. I've tri- I've written a few songs, but then again, it's like, I don't even know if that's the right format or what, you know, it's a whole nother thing. And to tell you the truth, I've just been making up excuses. Um, I, I would like to, uh, I would like to record something, man. I, I have a few things in the, in the works,
0: nothing that crazy, but I could see myself dropping a few tracks one day. Yeah. I think the secret for you is, is to not listen to anything. Just go write what you want to write seeing what you want to see, seeing, and you're already good at holding yourself to that professional benchmark. So you're not going to leave that studio with there being flaws that, that you can hear. So that's just the competitor in you. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about acting and, and get into some of the didactic of it a little bit for this audience. You're a non-SAG actor, but you're a SAG qualifying actor. So what's your take on going SAG or staying non-SAG? Do you have any advice for the audience here? Well, I mean, Atlanta being a right to work state and I, I don't know if I mean, maybe the
1: Carolinas are as well and Nashville and Tennessee is, and that's where pretty much everything I've done has been in Atlanta, like all the major stuff. So I haven't really seen it, a reason to join SAG, um, honestly. So I just, I mean, if I went to New York or did a thing in LA or Kentucky, I believe even Chicago, then I would, or Virginia, I'd have to.
0: And that's fine. You know, I would do that. But Yeah. Not not to piss off Bob Rains, who's the executive director of the entertainment commission here in Tennessee, but you know, Kentucky does an interesting thing where where they just cause you mentioned it, where they um they they don't make you get a broker and try to sell the grants to anybody that whole game. They just mm-hmm. write you a check for the percentage rebate for shooting in, in the state. So That's nice. And they're being very competitive. And I think they kind of have to be some. There's a whole other critique I have, which is like all these subsidies are a race to the bottom. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you're 28 percent. I'll go 29. Oh, you're 29. I'll go 31. You're 31. I'll go 33. And it's kind of all the taxpayer funding. And at some point there's going to be a taxpayer that says, hey, what the hell, man? Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like we'll, we'll shut it down. Do you see it getting more competitive with the the studio lot
1: being built in Hendersonville, right? Is, I think it's Hendersonville. Mm-hmm. Yep, Hendersonville. Have, yeah, and then you have View, the virtual studio that just got built out of the Bradley Parkway area. You know, you have all these facilities that are coming here. Amazon's here, Oracle's here. You got all this money, all these facilities. You see that competition getting more fierce. Like, I'm curious to see, like, the Atlanta, Nashville, Kentucky kind of trio and how that's going to have a little battle royale maybe
0: well you know we would call it second in a you know silicon valley sort of you know vc investor world would we'll call that second to fifth mover advantage right mm-hmm. so the first mover advantage was atlanta they showed that you could build hollywood outside of hollywood and it'd be bigger than like everything is shot in atlanta way more the stuff is shot in atlanta, than yeah. atlanta right post still goes to la a lot but mm-hmm. It's shot in Atlanta.
1: Well, yeah, they still they, cast pretty much all their leads out of LA and New yeah. York, and whatnot. So it's like
0: there's a lot of the industry that's pieces that 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 sort of flow through those veins. Mm-hmm. But Atlanta's laid out a model for everyone to repeat. And it doesn't matter what state you're in. If you're in Louisiana, you can look at that model and copy it. If you're in Tennessee and you're Bob Raines and you're Governor Bill Lee, you can look at that model and repeat it. Mm-hmm. If you're in Kentucky, you can look at that model and you're you know, you can repeat it. And so, so states know what to do now. So they can kind of move and actually improve. They can say, okay, well, here's right. what Atlanta did. Here's the model. Here's where it's not good, so good. Right. And here's where we can. So, you know, I know for a fact, uh, just for example, that Bob Raines feels like, well, our advantage is we have the world's best musicians here. Mm. So what are we going to do? We're going to give 37 and percent back on 50,000 spent on score for TV and for film. That's huge. Why? Because, and by the way, Nashville has suddenly become the second largest place for scoring in the world. Mm -hmm. Why? Because better musicianship really matters. Better musicians actually Mm -hmm. matter. Better studios actually matter. Mm -hmm. And then the cost of living here is much lower than the other places you might've scored. So now you're spending less on the budget that rebate becomes more impactful, et cetera. So I know that's one way that he plans to compete. Uh, These studios um, that are being built, even worldwide stages in Spring Hill with, with our friends, Kelly Frey and and Priscilla Wise. That's I know Priscilla. She's, she's incredible. Right. So she's, you know, that's, that's building now. And so there is an infrastructure happening and it's an exciting time to be in the Southeast if you're in film, you know, I think in general, Um. You just wrapped on your first lead role where you're leading, where you're carrying the movie in The Unraveling, directed yeah. by friend of the podcast, Katie Amen, and written by friend of the podcast and and uh and maybe a little more, uh Sarah Zanati. Um how did your preparation change for that? Um, you know, what's the difference between carrying a supporting role like you have several times versus a leading role
1: well yeah it was it was definitely it was because I've never had a role written for me specifically so I felt more comfortable in the fact that they were like hey this role was written for you you know I felt less less pressure that way because it was kind of in a way I was already embodying the vision that they had going into it and that allowed me to kind of focused. I think my biggest insecurity was do I look old enough? Because I was playing 16 and 18 year olds my whole this whole time. <laughs> That's right. And they're like, you now you're like a 28, 30 year old. And I was like yeah. this little voice in me was like, dude, you don't look old enough, man. You're still 16 on all these shows and whatnot. But Yeah, Stargirl, you were in high
0: school, right? I, I was
1: 16 in Fear Street, I was 18, you know, One More Dream, I was 18, 17, just yeah. So I, I it was um this is what I've been praying for. I was like, please you know, I would love an opportunity to show my chops on a deeper level with deeper, more emotional grit um, as an adult coming from like an adult perspective. So it was everything that I've been asking for. And then when I got it, I was like, oh, shit, you know, I hope, uh, hope I can deliver. And then it was the lesson of embodying the character instead of just forget everything, just embody, embody this character, you know. Yeah. And I'm not saying that in like a method way, like to t- totally transform and become your character. That's not my approach, but there are incredible actors and actresses out there that that is their approach but just embodying the essence of this character and so i think that was um that was a really really pivotal experience for me as an artist and overall the experience was great it was very challenging um but in the best way
0: and and like it stretched it stretched me for sure and it was great it was really great i can't wait to see it and i want to talk a little bit about this new vocation you're taking up with directing and pivot into that a little bit but i have to say just knowing you sort of off mic if you will off camera mm-hmm. you're funny <laughs> <And> <laughs> Thanks, you make man. these you make these like horror slash drama films and and you you act in in horrors and in dramas are you look? Are you going to do a comedy? Are you looking? Oh to man, I love laugh? comedy. Is
1: like the bread and butter. Like if I could go rom com route, I would do that. You know, and you know, there's not many out there. Not that I know, I don't know, but I love comedy. I think rom com comedy that would be a bread and butter type of thing.
0: Yeah, so. like if people follow you on social, they're not going to get like like scary, creepy Sam Brooks, or yeah. they're not going to get like dramatic. Everything is like. Everything is gray. <laughs> Sam now, he, he, like, dude, this guy's the he's a bubbly weirdo, man. Like, <laughs> what the fuck is this
1: guy? He's doing, like weird. Yeah, I I I am a very like uh lighthearted, I think just fun kind of uh I like everything's kind of like sunshine and rainbows, kind yeah. of uh and um I like when I act, so it's just so different than my everyday, you know. I'm not when I'm playing a bully or an asshole or a druggie or, you know, I'm playing this guy with a bunch of just like emotional heaviness and depth. It takes me completely out of allows me to be something else for a little bit, you know, and it's and it's a challenge and it's fun because then you start digging in. And you, I don't know. It's a whole process, but I really enjoy it. And I think sometimes when it's comedy, it feels a little too close to home. <laughs> yeah. I can get in my head a lot that ways as well.
0: Well, I, I can't wait to see you in it, but I do want to go back to what you said. Or see you in a comedy, I should say. But I do want to go back to that last comment. Uh, digging deep as an actor, mm-hmm. before we trans- transition over to sort of your directorial chops, uh, what do you consider your best performance out of all the things you've done so far, and and why?
1: I hope, I hope it's the unraveling. I really do. I really hope so because. Well, the, one more dream. That character was heavy. You know, had an uh, alcoholic father who abused him. He got he like tinkered in heroin. That whole experience like was deep uh, and and interesting. But I, I think this one, I hope the unraveling because one, it's my latest work, and I hope to always keep progressing as I, I keep acting. So I hope each work gets a little bit better. Um, that's the goal, right? And yeah. and it's it, it was. This guy is relatable, so relatable and they've all been relatable, but this is, this is the first time it's, I I got to be like an adult and have that depth and bring in all the knowledge that I've gained. Like as a teen, sometimes I have to hot, like my voice will be a little higher, you know, and then I, I have to think like, I don't have all this wisdom as a 17 year old kid. Yeah. Well, I have to kind of dumb that down and then like, but this guy, you know, he's late twenties and his thirties and it's like, I can bring everything in my life or whatever I've learned. I can bring it all and I can just do that. And, and that's okay. And that's acceptable. So it was just really cool. I think, cause there, I had a deeper well to pull from.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see it. Like I said before. And, uh, you know, I've seen. I've spent the last week in the world of Sam Brooks, so I'll let you know if it's your best performance or not. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> be honest. Let's give it to me straight, hey, man. I will. You, you can. You can. Um, you, know, you can count on that from me. I promise you, I'll. I'll. I'll be straightforward with you. But, uh, but like you said earlier, not in a cruel way. We never do. I never do anything cruel. It's not worth it. Right. It's like uh, coaches that yell, parents that yell. I never understood that. It's like you ask them to be composed, but you can't compose yourself. Mm-hmm. So what the hell um, let's talk about directing because you have directed two short films. Once a heart's calling mm-hmm. and your latest one is for my nephew. That's the one that's about to hit the festival circuit. You like working with the friend of the podcast friend of bonsai, Dustin hire. He's awesome. Yeah, I've worked with him good. before on a short film called gateway that uh, Matt Williams just directed and, and, and co-wrote. Uh, But I wanted to ask you how you came across the story. Were you the one that came across the story on uh, a heart's calling?
1: No, good buddy of mine, Dallas. Okay. He, uh, this is about his life. Oh, wow. And so he, one time, fuck man, it was 2019 maybe Halloween. Anyways, it's not important, but he hit me up and he gave me the rundown and, what it was, he wanted it to be like, and he had this little animated short. It was like in a heart heartbeat or like a heart's beat, but it was really beautiful. And he's like, "I want something that tells this story, yeah, and it incorporates my life and all this stuff." And I just read it and heard him out, and I was like, "Man, I would love if you give me a chance to direct this, and because I'm, I, I see it, and we can." We started writing, so where it started from where it ended is completely different from like the storytelling aspect. You know, which, you know, we had Dustin, and Christopher Gentle, who's, and then talk about score. He yeah, he's nailed awesome. that score. He's incredible. And we had all this, like, it basically went into a writer's room and developed the story. And I thought, you know, from the inspiration, it's an animated short with no words. And the music was a character of its own. And so I was like, we need to do it like this, like a live action Pixar kind of feel. If we can tell this story through nonverbal communication and this beautiful score you know backing that then we've done a damn good job yeah and it was really different came out it came out nice and we shot it i think in 2 days and for like 500 bucks you know Lachlan table was nice enough to give us uh the place for free and eastland church was another place that gave us a uh a chapel for free and everybody was just
0: loving the story and chimed in and it was really really beautiful that whole east side is is so amenable to filmmakers and creatives we've used the east side church before for example lachlan table happens to be a a, a top five percent restaurant in nashville uh how did you get that location lachlan they just love
1: the story they love the story and they're like yeah we're in that's
0: cool you can come okay. in like in the morning and then you have to be out by three I'm like cool. <laughs> I was going to say, because they're busy, you know, Like yeah, yeah. To, to get them shut down is, is kind of great. And so to be behind the camera, I guess you kind of, that first time you fell in love with it a little bit and decided to do it again mm-hmm. with, for my nephew, completely different story. You know, one <laughs> yeah. story is about um, being gay in the Bible Belt. Correct, uh, correct. Coming from a, a
1: church of Christ and being born and raised as a as a gay man and trying to understand what your heart's desire is and and being still a lover of christ and practicing christianity it's really
0: cool yep and a story everybody should watch and try to understand the complexity of and then and it's something kaylee bailey the the great editor and and writer has talked about on this on this podcast just having to be you know, raised religiously, but also having her own identity and, and how she worked through that. Uh, it's worth everybody going to listen to um, after, of course, after they listen to this. And then, <laughs> um, and then the other film is really about the perils of, of, of the company you keep. And even when you try to get out of something, those people will always drag you back into something and That's the the short film for my nephew. So, uh, why this one, and uh, you know, why this story? Because you wrote this as well, and why did you choose to direct again? It It's starring a good friend of the podcast, Dean Shortland. So,
1: yeah, 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 I love Dean. So many, yeah. Well, it's the same. So, I just I don't know. The idea came to me at first. I just kind of wrote it as like whatever. I wanted it to be like a to be continued series. And I was like, this is cool. It's a cool premise. Like you have this guy, Walter Julius Brown. I kind of got like this Tarantino mm-hmm. like air about it. I was like, okay, cool. I'm seeing it. I see it. And then I just had to start writing it down. And when I wrote it down, I didn't really understand like what I was writing, if that makes sense. It wasn't until I, we started shooting it and I started seeing it in real time come to life. You know, I had all these visions and ideas of shots and how I wanted it to go. But then the actors brought something completely different than what I was seeing in the best way possible. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And then working with Dustin and Larkin and Grant and all these guys that we just did, These Streets We Haunt, we did Hearts Calling and now this. So it's like we had this flow going on and everyone was ping-ponging. We're like, okay, here's my vision. The actors would like go in, do their thing. And then Dustin, me and Dustin would just ping-pong. He's like, oh, this camera movement would be perfect for your vision. And Larkin, you know, it was just a beautiful, like it was totally a giant community where everyone was able to chime in
0: and we would just riff on the fly and then just kind of make it work. But this being only the second thing you've directed, what, what would you change? How would you improve? If you had to shoot this all over again, how would well, you? We had like one light, you know, um, <laughs> we, we had one light. You had, a jo- you had one Joker or something like that? Or what, what did you use? <laughs> we had like one uh,
1: like China ball. Oh, okay. Got it. And then, I mean, and then like in the house scene, we had like a few like keynotes and we had those like, I don't know. I'm not, my grip vocabulary isn't that great. So we had these like little lights and like the yeah. long lights you can put places yeah. and whatnot. And um, so I would love to have like more, you know, more grip equipment more gear and that sort of sense. Like there's a generator in the back of one shot that I missed, but at the same time it's like, yeah, it could make sense. It's not doing anything. Um, it bothers me of course, but we also had only 13 hours to shoot this thing. Oh wow. So, we shot it for zero ninety nine. I finished writing it while I was in Miami, so I'm visiting a friend, and I cast it from Miami and all like the locations. And then I was like, "Guys, I'm getting back, and the next day we shoot." Like that was the schedule because that's just yeah. when we could do it. Yeah. So like, you guys just gotta trust me, okay? I'm break it down over Zoom, but just trust me on this, and we're gonna rock it. First day
0: six hours, second day seven hours, and we're done. You guys shot this like a forty eight or a fifty four? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So is that where it's going to go? Are you guys going to try to put it like, oh, I guess it can't go on a 4 no, hour yeah, well, yeah. work, It's focused on a competition, but where are, you, where are you going to try to put it? What's, what's the plan for, for this short?
1: We kind of made it so, yeah, like I said, the vision was to be continued. Like I wanted to be continued at the end because you are like, oh man, I want to watch more. But then I thought, you know, what if it felt like the beginning of a movie? You know, you watch it and then the title for My Nephew comes up and you're like, oh shit, I would love to see the rest of that. So it kind of started shopping it around and we shot this in February of 2020. And I, since I'm not paying anybody, I bought their gas and food, and they did it out of the kindness of their own hearts. I didn't rush anything. I, Tony did the sound mastering, Christopher on the score, Dustin on the edit color correction. And I was just like, hey, whenever you get it done, I don't care if it's like five years later. Yeah, but, you know, fast forward two years, like a couple months ago, <laughs> Tony was like, hey He's man,
0: care? <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know? Well, Tony hit me out of the blue. I, I forgot. Like honestly, it's just like so far in the back. He hit me out of the blue. Said, hey man, we got a surprise for you. Here you go like first color edit sound master scores put to it. I'm like, holy shit, this is good. Like way better than I thought it was going to turn out. And then, so the plan is just send it off to festivals. I got it. I think seven, two in Austin, one in San Fran or San Diego, one in Catalina, three in Nashville, and then uh, two in Atlanta, maybe one in Atlanta.
0: Awesome. 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 We have some free codes for festivals. So, let me know if you want to submit to some places that that you haven't submitted to. Yeah, the more the merrier. Yeah, great. We're partners with a bunch of festivals around the around the world. Uh, so that's that's super cool. And I did see the web series feel of it. I was I was a little shocked by the ending. It was like so abrupt. And now that you tell me that it makes perfect sense. Like, okay we're going to follow the story of where this goes, shot to shot, or maybe it has the potential if you get financing and you're able to do it and you fall in love right. with the project even more. That's where like the kind of Tarantino vibe comes in. Like we wanted to do
1: after that, it would be three years before. And you see Walter Dean's character uh, and big yeah. fella all working together. Cause the whole thing is like, he beat up his cousin just to get Walter Julius Brown back in the game. Cause yeah. he knew he would do anything for his nephew. Yep. Yeah. And so then Big fell and Dean orchestrated this whole thing. He was gonna come to me, I'm gonna give him the money, and we're gonna get him to do the job that we need him to do. Right. Right. And so that was the whole
0: Yeah. It's 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 uh it's uh the 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 last Dave Chappelle story that he tells about uh iceberg slim and like pimping. That's kind of <laughs> what it's like. It's like yeah. you're the mark and you don't know you're the mark, you know. Exactly. It it, it is beautiful in that way and, and and I thought it was shot well and acted well. I thought Dean does what Dean does Dean Shortland where he steals things mm. and I think in a short film you have to be careful make sure all the performances are balanced out because Dean's so good that he he can create an imbalance in the performances because mm. he's you know he's so experienced at, at that sort of thing. So so, kudos to you. I can't wait to uh, see where this journey, the directorial journey and writing journey goes with with Sam Brooks. Um, you've been awesome. You've been great with your time. I, I wonder if I can hit you with some speed round questions real quick. Do it. Let's go. All right. What are the two best pieces of advice you've received so far in your career and who did they come from? Oh, man. Uh, I think do what you have to do now so you can
1: do what you want to do later. I think that's just like something that stuck with me. That was my father. Mm-hmm. And I think William uh, Arnold with the fourth wall served the story, not your ego. I mean, that, that's that been huge. I said that at the beginning and that came from him. Uh, the fourth wall, I would not be here without them. So I think, I think those two are, are keys.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. The but It's William and his, is it his wife? Yeah. They both came. run that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, um, they really live that. I mean, you don't see them out there serving their ego in any way whatsoever. Right. They're just running their, their acting studio and crushing it every day.
1: It's insane because they started, I think in 2016 or 2015 and then like with maybe two classes, three classes and 10 to 15 in each class. And now they have a community of over like 200, 300 people. You're just
0: like, Holy yeah. Shit. Yeah. yeah. They, they're they're the, they're the real deal for sure. And then look, that's no shade to, Natural Acting Studio or any of the studios we've had on. I just appreciate what they've been able to accomplish and the talent they've they've churned out. Um, outside of Matthew McConaughey, which <laughs> creatives do you most admire and want to emulate? And what did they do from a technical or skill standpoint that makes their uh, work stand apart? Wow, wow, wow.
1: Great question. Tom Hardy's incredible. Uh I love Will Smith. Oh, I mean, I grew up watching Fresh Prince. and just saw him King Richard. I mean, does, never, never disappoints. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson's phenomenal. Uh, Marshall Ali's phenomenal. There's a lot, I think. I mean, even Shia Buff, like, is is fucking sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can go on. I just, I like, I tend to like characters that actors play. Like, just, like, taking things from characters that they play. And I think that's a... Uh, you know, Peaky Blinders, like that whole ensemble is just nuts. So underrated. It's nuts. And uh, so I don't know if I have a favorite, to be honest with you. I have a hard time with that question.
0: Well, it's Matthew McConaughey, but I didn't let you answer
1: that. (laughs) (laughs) No, Matthew McConaughey is phenomenal. I just, uh, I don't know if uh, if there's any order to it. I think they're all different. You know, I think Matthew McConaughey's whole
0: essence uh, resonates with me a lot. Yeah. As, as like a human. <laughs> Absolutely, I think that's great. I think that's great. Um, you're around a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. What, uh, it, you know, acting, directing, writing, what are the biggest creative and business mistakes you see newcomers making? Mm-hmm. Man, get, make sure your sound's good. Make sure your sound's good
1: and uh, your lighting's on, on point. Because if you have something with shitty sound, it's not gonna. I don't. I don't. You kind of chop the legs off right there. So you're talking about self tape again? Self tape for sure, but just projects in general. Oh, Um, got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like sound is key.
0: So So how do you how do you keep your sound in both those scenarios? Just to go a little deeper, one level deeper. How do you ensure that your sound is great?
1: I have a, I have a little studio for myself tapes and I have there's a shout out to Rode there's a little Rode mic I use my phone it's really all I need I got the 13 or whatever and so I plug the Rode mic into the phone and it's a directional mic and it's it's really great it kind of cuts out a lot of that background hum and the noise make sure there's no like refrigerators or anything humming around you yeah um, that's
0: that's a nuanced take because where people miss and waste a lot of money is they don't Ask directional or omnidirectional. Mm. So you go home with the omnidirectional mic. You're like, damn, I'm getting shitty sound. I don't know why. Yeah, but it's not something that's necessarily in giant print on the box.
1: Yeah, no, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't. If you don't know, you're not know you are not
0: know. Yeah, so make sure you, yeah, ask questions if you don't know. That way, you get the directional mic. You don't waste your time, your money, and your sound. Like you said, is great. This is a favorite question of the podcast and of the audience. If you had one month. To teach someone how to act, what are the first three things you would teach them? So this is a person off the street. Somehow they got a gig and they are completely unprepared. And they've come to you and said, Sam, I got one month. Make me an actor. Everything you think you know, throw it out the window.
1: You know, it's like, forget, unlearn everything you think you know and embody your essence. What can you bring to this character? And there's no right way to do this. So just keep that in mind, you know?
0: Okay. So number one is unlearn.
1: Unlearn. Yeah. Unlearn everything, you know, you know, throw all that out, out of there. So that way we start, we start with like no limitations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Number two, there's no right way to do this. You know, there's little techniques like not blinking so much, keeping your face still. But as far as like approaching this or whatever, like a technique that you come at it, there's no right or wrong way to do it. Uh, and then number three, I think y- you have to bring yourself, you have to bring yourself into it. Like, don't try to be anyone else. Just whatever you are, we're going to capture that, you know, so don't try to be something or someone else, but you know, we're going to capture, we need to capture you, you know? I don't know. <laughs> that's a, maybe that's, that's, that's not why I'm coaching. Man.
0: <laughs> no, it's beautiful. So for those listening and, and keeping score at home, number one is unlearn everything, you know, number two, there's no right way to do it. Uh, just a few techniques, keep your face still. Don't blink so much, but there's no right way to do it, which I think perfectly leads into number three, which is double down on you. Mm-hmm. Double down on you. And it's true. Cause when you watch casting tapes, the, 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 those actors that get cast seem to just, they're not over the top. They're not low energy, but they're just themselves, but embodied in some character.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Um, Just to make the, um, the question more round, I guess, or the answer more round or maybe both. Is there anything you would do to help that person unlearn everything or, or focus on being themselves?
1: Oh man, you know, that, that would have to cost you, uh, $200 in a monthly fee to take the masterclass. No, I'm just kidding. I, I think, I think it's one of those things where it's like, if, if people come in with expectations of, oh, I need to be like this, or am I standing there? Like, you know, what is it like this? Like, Oh, I heard all this stuff and blah, 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 blah. But like all this external knowledge that they're coming in with, I think it, it's just, you're building barriers and limitations and walls and all sorts of shit. So it's just like, Hey man, forget everything just read the script, just read it how you would talk, you know, just read it, whatever. And we'll go from there. Yeah. Like, okay. Like uh, if you were this person, like, what would you do? Like, forget what I, what you think I want you, I want to see, what would you do? You know, and let's go from there. We'll yeah. figure
0: it out. You know, it's a fascinating question when you find out a lot of people don't know who they are oh, and yeah. then you're confronted with it. It's like, Oh my God, I don't know what I would do. What would I do? Be like, and for me, I would just tell him to go, go dirt Diggler in the mirror. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad they're, I'm glad they have Sam teaching instead of, instead of me. Cause I would just tell him. You know, just got to go. stand in the mirror and flex. I'm just going to let you know. Yeah. Just go flex in the mirror for a little bit. Um, how do you develop an impression? You do a killer Matthew McConaughey. I don't know if you want to share it with us, but how do you develop it? You also have accents that you do. You have Cogni and British and Southern. Where do you start when you need to develop an impression or an accent? I just, I just, something, I just listen, man.
1: I I have like, I've always been able to like, if I, as a kid, if I hear something, I just like, I I can hear it in my head. Like whether it's like the guitar riff or the, the bass line, or if it's like a sound, I could like try to match it. I just hear it. So with McConaughey, I just listen to a video of him talking and then I can like, basically like a songbird or like a mockingbird, like hit it back at you. Yeah, but that's just kind of I like watch real life people with that accent, um, and then kind of go from there. Sometimes the videos that are trying to teach you on YouTube can be a little difficult because they're like the O sound makes a and you're like I don't want
0: to just start talking, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I'll figure it out. Is there an accent that people that you do or an impression that you do that you know maybe I wouldn't know or this audience wouldn't know or or even your close friends wouldn't know that you do? No, I man, I'm, really I'm pretty open with the Even pretty
1: open with accents, man. I've been working on like a little. If if there was like an alien voiceover, you know, like what would that sound? <laughs> what would that sound? Like? You know, I have this script that I wrote years ago, and it's it's kind of like a Kurt Vonnegut style. Um, oh, yeah, Kurt V. I was just, yeah, man. I was just thinking, like, what would this alien sound like if it was to talk about? The humans being in a galactic zoo, and it was like, you know, like just weird shit like that, man. And so I, I, fuck, I mess around with stuff like that. And then <laughs> if I swear, if my house was bugged, people would like this guy needs to be in an asylum.
0: <laughs> Boxing himself seventy percent of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, well, damn that 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 gave me a nice little visual right there. It's like okay, maybe it, it would be cool to actually have like found footage. Of Sam in his house? Oh, man. It That'd be, be a cool short would, film. It would be weird. Like, I passed, like, a reflection. I'm like, you fucker. He's like, don't you look
1: at me. You know? Like, shit like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, like, playing my Congo drums, and I was just, like, just going off. And then, like, shit thing is, you just got to keep on playing. You know? You just got to keep on playing the bongos and the cops You know, You know? Dumb shit like that. <laughs> green green light. That's
0: a green light. Yeah. Green light. That's it. <laughs> Do that. Wait, do that when we're done. That's a green light. All right. All right. All right. Just keep living. huh? That's perfect. That's perfect. That's perfect. My friend Casey Fuller does a great McConaughey as well, but I think, I think, I think his is like cartoon McConaughey and yours is McConaughey. That's pretty, mm-hmm. that's pretty spot on. Um, Sam, I've loved this. This has been a great conversation.
1: Like you said, man, we could go for at least three, three full podcasts.
0: Yeah, we're going to do a round two and then we'll we'll do some sessions together off mic, off off camera, musically. We can write, whatever. I just think you're a guy who is is just more than a rising star and you're shooting star. The, you, you have the it factors and it's just going to be so much fun watching you ascend and, and do your thing. So I just can't thank you enough for joining me uh, mm-hmm. on a conversation. Uh, can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media, the internet, or maybe even see some of your movies, some of your work? Yeah, yeah. I got an Instagram. I'm pretty, uh, (laughs) that's all I got.
1: Uh, That's an ad story of Sam Brooks. You can peep it out if you want to follow. If not, no hard feelings. Uh, You can catch me in Fear Street on Netflix, uh, part two, 1978. Just be warned that you will see my butt cheeks. Uh, and then you could catch me on um, Hulu with Your Worst Nightmare, season three, episode four. Amazon Prime, These Streets We haunt. I believe that's also on Tubi. I got something coming out on Long Slow Exhale, which will be on Spectrum and then BET this year, and that debuts on the third of April in mean, the third episode of that. And then um, am I missing anything? Oh yeah, HBO Max and CW Star Girl. And that is it, I think.
0: So- that's amazing. And just for this audience, this was recorded on March 27th. So um, it, th- these will be out. Some of these will be out by the time you guys are listening to it. But All that right. shouldn't stop you from going to listen to it. And yes, tonight is Academy Awards night. And I uh, um, you know, pushed off the temptation to ask Sam what movie of the year should be or what the best actor should be or whatever. Dude, I don't um, even know
1: who's nominated. I don't. I don't pay. I, mean, I didn't even know that was tonight, man. I don't pay. I live under a rock, dude.
0: I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, it's it's tonight. The, the the best film I saw that made me feel the best leaving the theater. I saw it three times. Was "Come On, Come On" with Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, it's not nominated, and so of the ones that are nominated, I really love "Coda." have made me oh, cry Coda most times awesome, I watched dude. it. I've
1: seen that one. Oh my yeah. gosh. It was so beautiful at the end when she was singing and signing. Oh man. Got me. Uh,
0: amazing. Uh, the hand of God is amazing. Also on Netflix. Um, most shocking film is easily Titan of all the movies I saw in 2021. Like if you want to just make your eyes bleed, in the best possible way. Watch Titan. That is amazing filmmaking. So we'll see how it all turns out. Um, but but we'll end on this. I started this conversation, Sam, saying that you were young, but you were a Renaissance man. And Thank we've you. talked about that throughout, but you also do poetry. You also have an alter ego named Little Altif. Oh yeah, Little Altif. <laughs> 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 and... I understand that you can beatbox Disney songs. So, is there a Disney oh song God, that you can beatbox for us?
1: You got to pull that up. Okay, um, let me see. <laughs> what about like? Um, I was like, um, this might not be Disney, but Harry Potter is always a good one. Kind of like hitting a dubstep Harry. You <laughs> know, I was thinking about this one the other day. Matter of fact, and it's like. <laughs>
0: Then
1: you have like little answers. Like, why don't we live Like shit like that, I think would be kind of cool.
0: <laughs> That's absolutely dope. That's fire. That's fire. Just, well, just, like, down, man. Well, well done. Um, how many beatboxes do you have like in your repertoire? Of of these movies, of these like, oh man, you know, I got, I got a films. Rolodex.
1: I got a Rolodex for sure. Shrek is one of them. Mario is a Super Nintendo. You know with those sounds like? Let's go, 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 da, 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 da. <laughs> you know,
0: actually, like that. <laughs> <laughs> how did this become a a thing, like a hobby for you?
1: I don't know, man. I, I've been uh, me and my buddies were freestyling since we were like ninth grade and before, like we found out what instrumentals were, we were beatboxing and then. I was like, why doesn't anyone take like Disney songs? I'm sure they probably do like Disney songs and all these like very quotable things and make EDM or beatbox or just like dubstep music. And if I could, I would. I I don't really want to take the time to learn how to produce like that. But if there's someone out there that's like, damn, kid, that's a good idea. Let me know.
0: Uh, (laughs) We'll see if we can get some notoriety from it. Yeah, he's not giving you permission to steal his idea. He's giving you permission to collaborate Let's with just him collaborate, on you know? his idea. Yeah. So just to be clear on that. And yeah, I'm with you, man. My heart warms every time I see somebody with a pencil and a fist on a desk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, <laughs> just take it back yeah, to the I got with The two pencils,
1: man. Yeah. You know, like you
0: have the pencils and I was like, yeah. Exactly. Like that's that's before instrumentals. That's like you make your own instrumental, uh-huh. then somebody can beatbox with that and somebody yeah. can flow over top of it. That's the origins of a of a perfect cipher to me. So yeah. I
1: agree with you. And then there used to be a lot of underground ciphers here in Nashville, and that's how I got my name Pillsbury Flowboy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I love I, I love when i learn something new pillsbury flow Boy. well mr flow Boy, <laughs> you know you you're a blast man, man amazing man. Curious, man thank you so so much this is an honor absolutely honors all mine and uh let's uh catch up do some coffee do some drinks whatever sounds great Absolutely, and I my wish you luck. But uh, yes, but sir, you don't yes. need it. You don't need the luck. Uh, you're you're gonna be just fine, brother. I'll take it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's you know, and my luck to you. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> <Gobble> it, <man. laughs> yeah, I'm gonna eat that.
1: All right, Sam. Be good, brother. Ah, uh, man. Thank you so much, y'all. Everybody, thank you for listening. It's been a real honor. Thank you so much. Much love to all of you. Much love to you as well,
0: man. Take care. See ya. Peace. Peace you've been listening to the make it podcast to find out more information about this week's topics including links to relevant blog posts projects and indie creatives please visit our website at www.bonzai.film. if you haven't already you can join our podcast community on apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for make it bonsai creative and the show will pop right up you now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click Contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. And you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments, and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.